It's day 11 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we get to learn a little more about Job and what he was like in his glory days before he makes his final statements in the closing argument. But first, I do want to let you guys know that days 7 through 10 of the Heart Checks have been loaded up onto our website for those of you who've been asking. And also, I do want to let you guys know we have got more than 3,000 unconfirmed emails, meaning there are more than 3,000 people who signed up for the email, but never clicked that button in the actual email itself to confirm that you actually want to receive emails from us. So it's just a protection for you so that you're not receiving a bunch of spam all the time. So you will have to probably check your junk mail folder, find that initial email, click that you want to download the notes and be added to our email list. And that will ensure that you are actually on our email list where you can receive the daily emails with everything in one place. Also a reminder that if you miss an email or if you don't get it, you can always go back to our website, heartdive.org slash podcast, where everything is there. My notes every single day, the podcast, the video, all of it. Also, once you do start to receive the emails, make sure that you mark our email address as safe on your end so that you will now start getting these emails into your inbox because mine still kept ending up in the spam folder for some reason. But I'm also technologically challenged. So that might explain some things. So I'm just trying to help a sister or a brother out. Anyway, if y'all could help us out too by hitting that like button and making sure you are subscribed to our podcast, hit the notification bell if you're on YouTube, if you want to know when each video comes out each day. If you are new here, welcome. We are so glad that you want to dive into God's word. And if you have any questions, make sure to check out the show notes or the description box, or you can always head to our website, heartdive.org for all the tea. Also, if you're new, let us know where you're watching from in the world. We'd love to see where God is shining His light. So let's go ahead and pray as we get into today's reading. Thank you, Lord, so much for a beautiful day. You are glorious, God, and we just stand before you in awe and in reverence and humbled, Lord, knowing that you've given us another day with breath in our lungs so that we can come here to spend this time with you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to be disciplined enough to carve this time out to spend with you. That is the most important thing is that we are building our relationship with you. And so I just pray, Lord, as the enemy tries to make us think that we're too busy, that we don't have time, that we've got a million other things we've got to get done, help us to recognize, Lord, that you are priority in our life, that you come first and may our actions follow. Forgive us, Lord, where we have sinned. I just pray, God, that you will show us where we may have missed the mark, where we may have crossed the line, where we may have disobeyed or not listened to a command that you've given to us. And I also pray that you will help us to forgive others, Lord, because we know that when we don't, that just leads to bitterness and anxiety and all kinds of icky feelings that well up within us. And we don't want it. We want to be set free. We want to be able to live in that freedom and walk in it. And so that is one of the greatest things that we know that the enemy will try to keep us from being able to get right because he knows that if he can sever relationships, Lord, that that's one step closer for us being in isolation where he can fully attack. And so we just pray, Lord, that you'll surround us with people who love you. I pray that you bless this community. I pray for unity within it, Lord. I pray for softened hearts. I pray for grace. I pray for kindness. And Lord, wherever we are coming together, may your spirit dwell there. As we open your word today, Lord, I pray that you will open up our eyes, ears, and hearts to be able to 
hear your voice, to see your face, and to be able to have hearts that are open to receive exactly what it is that you need to speak to us. It's not what you're speaking to somebody else. It's not what my notes say in my Bible. It's about what you want to say to each person who is here. And so I pray that they will know that whenever they hear your voice, that it is indeed you. So I just pray that you will be glorified in all things. Use me as a vessel today, Lord. Empty me of myself. Help me to get out of the way so that only you can be seen. I love you so much. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off in the middle of Job's closing argument yesterday. He continues here in his defense in chapter 29. And Job again took up his discourse and he said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old. I circled this months because some people have been asking, how long was Job suffering? Well, no one really knows the answer of how long this lasted, but we definitely know that it is longer than several months. I've seen estimations from six months to a year and a half. And so long enough is what I got to say. As in the days when God watched over me, so kind of like the good old days, right? When his lamp shone upon my head, so he felt divinely blessed at some point, he obviously knew God, and by his light, I walked through the darkness. Well, how do we walk through the darkness? Well, the Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is being in his word where we are going to recognize where we need to go. Because if you think about the word, it's kind of like wearing a headlamp. It's not going to illuminate what is behind you, it illuminates what is in front of you. But sometimes it's only for a short distance because that light can only shine upon the immediate area that you are in. And God does that on purpose because sometimes if we can see too far ahead, we are going to get scared. We're not going to want to walk any further than the safe boundary that we're in. But He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. So that's why sometimes we can't completely understand even what the Word is speaking. Because if we truly knew, if we had all the answers, I think in our human fickle mind that we wouldn't move forward. And he's all about moving us forward. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in the back. He doesn't want us to even stay stuck where we are now. He wants to take us from glory to even greater glory. Woo, the Spirit of God is moving. So again, by His light, I walked through darkness as I was in my prime. So in my glory days, when the friendship of God was upon my tent. So He felt close to God at one point. When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. So He had easy living at one point. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square. So this is where I was saying, Saying, I forget which day I said it, but we see that he was some sort of maybe councilman or judge. The young men saw me and they withdrew and the aged rose and stood. So he was well respected by all ages. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on my mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. So everyone listened to him, whether they were lowly or in places of honor. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw it, it approved. So he had a good reputation because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So he was not only generous, but he also made sure that he was able to help the needy whenever possible. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him who did not know. 
I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. So he was very just in whatever it was that he was doing or wherever way he was serving. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches, my glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. And this bow here that is used, it is symbolic of the rejuvenation of vigor and might because bows would oftentimes be unstrung at night and hung up so that it could maintain that strength. So at one time, Job felt that he had it all. He was blessed by God. He was well-respected in the community. He lived righteously. He was wealthy. He really felt nothing could go wrong and that he would just die happy and content. Now, in his current state, all he has is a memory as everything in his life is wasting away, but he still holds on to his mustard seed of faith. So it seems as though his blessings never overshadowed his love and devotion to God. God is his life preserver in the midst of a dark and stormy sea. So heart check, if all was stripped away from you today, what would be your life preserver? Would you still have hope to hold on to? Verse 21, men listened to me and they waited and kept silence for my counsel. After I spoke, they didn't speak again and my word dropped upon them. So they were hanging on his every word. They waited for me as for the rain and they opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. So not only was he a comforter, but also a leader. So we end this chapter with Job reflecting on his past, and doing so is not always a bad thing. It really depends on what you're focused on. We can either look back and say, boy, I sure wish I could go back to the good old days, or we can look back and say, wow, look at where I once was and look at where God is taking me. Look where I'm at now. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, we are prone to engrave our trials in marble, but we write our blessings in sand, meaning we tend to focus on the bad things and we let the good things slip right through the fingertips of our minds. So heart check, when you reflect in your past, what is engraved in marble? Is it trials or blessings? And what about today? Because remember, the enemy wants nothing more than to get you to think that God is not for you. But the promise we have to hold on to is that He is changing us again from glory to glory. Whether you feel like your glory days are behind you or that you are living in them right now, remember, the best days are still yet to come. Chapter 30, here we enter into a lament. But now they laugh at me, men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. So the irony is, is that men that he felt were worthless, his children are actually worse than him, and they're mocking him. What could I gain from the strength of their hands, men whose vigor is gone? Through want and hard hunger, they gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick saltwort and the leaves of bushes and the roots of the broom tree for their food. So they're a bunch of scavengers, basically. They are driven out from human company. They shout after them as after a thief. In the gullies of the torrents, they must dwell. In holes of the earth and of the rocks. Among the bushes, they bray. So if you don't know what braying is, it is the loud cry of a donkey. Under the nettles, they huddle together. A senseless, a nameless brood. They have been whipped out of the land. So these guys who are mocking him are just a bunch of losers and they're acting like a bunch of zoo animals. 
and now I have become their song. I am a byword to them. They abhor me. They keep aloof from me. They do not hesitate to spit at the sight of me. And spitting was the ultimate sign of disdain or disrespect. Because God has loosed my cord and humbled me, they have cast off restraint in my presence. So Job is likening himself to a loosened cord or like that unstrung bow that has been put up on a shelf, rendering it useless. And there may be times in our lives where we feel as though we have been shelved. We believe we have gifts and we have things to offer, but they tend to go unnoticed or maybe underappreciated. Trust me, I have been there. But the important thing is that we remember whose shelf we're on. If we are placing all of our worth in whether or not people approve of us and our giftings, that is where we will be left feeling defeated. But if we know that we are on God's shelf, we know that it is only temporary. And as long as we are allowing Him to restring us, to restore our strength, and to put us to use for His glory, we will be content in those times of waiting. So heart check. Do you feel as though you've been shelved? If so, take a moment to reflect on whose shelf you're on. Verse 12, on my right hand, the rabble rise. They push away my feet. They cast up against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They need no one to help them. As through a wide breach, they come amid the crash. They roll on. So it's a big crowd here and they're kicking him while he's down. Terrors are turned upon me. My honor is pursued as by the wind, and my prosperity has passed away like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out within me. My days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. He's got physical agony. He is emotionally and physically drained. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. So he's feeling very forsaken at this point by God. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it. And then you toss me about in the roar of the storm. So he feels like God is picking him up and body slamming him. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Yet does not one in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand and in his disaster cry for help? Did not I weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? So he's basically saying, what did I do to deserve this? I lived righteously. I helped other people. But when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. My inward parts are in turmoil and never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I'm a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. So jackals and ostriches actually live in very desolate places. So he's feeling very isolated, like an outcast. My skin turns black and falls from me and my bones burn with heat. My lyre is turned to mourning and my pipe to the voice of those who weep. So he ends this section of lament here by playing the violin. And now in chapter 31, he makes his final appeal or kind of like an oath of innocence. I have made a covenant with my eyes. So he's making a pact to have pure thoughts because we know that thoughts start by what we are seeing. 
How then could I gaze at a virgin? What be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous? So he's saying, shouldn't it be that the unrighteous are the ones who are punished? And disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. So he's saying, if you stick me on a scale and this is righteousness and you put me on it, it's going to balance out. I am not going to outweigh the righteousness with unrighteousness. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. So he's saying, if I am wrong, fine, give my portion to somebody else who is more deserving than I, and let what grows for me be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed towards a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. So he's saying, if I have cheated on my wife in any way, either in thought or physically, then fine, she can go be with somebody else. For that would be a heinous crime. That would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. And I love the fact that he mentions this because it goes to show that he honored his wife. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as a bad end, and it would burn to the root of all my increase, which is true, adultery will burn a house down. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, or we can look at this as employees, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes an inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? So aren't we all equal? When he takes a look at my accounting books and the way that I've dealt with people, he's going to see how I have treated them the right way. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, For from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with the father, and from my mother's womb, I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with my fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder. So he's saying, if I have mistreated anybody who was needy, then just break my bones. And let my arm be broken from its socket, for I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced His majesty. So it was the fear of God that actually kept him from doing any of these things and for actually and helped him to live righteously. If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand has found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in its splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges for I would have been false to God above. He rejected idolatry. He rejected covetousness but he's still willing to be held responsible in case maybe he didn't realize he had done some of this. If I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me or exulted when evil overtook him, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse, by the way. 
If the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been filled with his meat? So he was very hospitable. The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silence and did not go out of the doors... Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. So he is basically saying, I had no hidden sin. I didn't fear what the public opinion said. And I'm putting my stamp of approval on everything I'm saying here. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. So he is willing to give an account and be held responsible for anything that he may have done wrong. If my land has cried out against me and its furrows have wept together, if I have eaten its field without payment and made its owners breed their last, let thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley." And I didn't write here, but he was a good steward, good steward of his land. And with that, the words of Job are ended. So closing statements have been made and the case with his friends is put to rest. So through his final plea, we see that Job's life truly was a life lived with integrity. And it really makes you think about whether or not your life would be a testament to righteousness. So heart check, when you look at Job's life, do you fare with or fall short of his moral integrity? And we'll continue this pondering with some of our deep dive questions. In what ways were you able to see God's heartbeat in today's reading? Does it challenge or affirm your understanding of who God is? Number two, when you look back on your life, what are some of the greatest blessings? And what have you learned from trials? Does Job's past life inspire you to live differently? And do you think Job's cries for help are beneficial or detrimental to his mental health? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being the same God today as you were in the glory days. And you're the same God who will be here for us tomorrow. But we will walk into even greater glory as long as we stay close to you. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us, for shining in us and through us and lighting our path when the road seems dark. May we never fail to recognize you in the midst of what seems to be a grim outlook on life. Thank you, Lord, that even as Almighty God, you still call us friend. What a great joy it is to know that we can come to you as one who is close like a brother. And I pray that when we look back on our lives, that we will not only be able to see the many blessings that have been engraved in marble, but the many times that you brought us through the trials of life. May we, like Job, always live a life of integrity, building solid reputations, being generous, kind to those in need, treating people fairly, leading others with a gentle confidence, and comforting those who mourn. I pray for those who are questioning their identity today, and I come against the enemy and his desire to make them stray from you. May we not be swayed by public opinion, but stand up under truth. And for anyone who feels as though they have been shelved, Lord, I pray that you will let them know today that you are simply preparing them for something even greater. And for anyone who is emotionally or physically feeling pain, will you comfort them and ease their burden? Take away any pain and we cry out for healing as your word declares that you are our Jehovah Rapha, our healer. It is by your stripes, Jesus, that we are healed. And we declare that today. We claim it today. 
We are so grateful to be able to be in relationship with you. So we ask that you will continue to reveal to us our shortcomings, but also your grace in the midst of it. Help us to see how we can make it right in this life so that we don't need to live in worry about the next. And if there's any hidden sin within us, we give you permission to shine your light on it today as we want to walk away from this better than when we came in. We love you so much. I pray, Lord, that you will bless every person who is hearing this prayer today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die, but I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.